Good morning, good morning. Man, we're glad you're here today. Grab your Bibles, if you would. Let's go to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. Uh, Jude is the book right before the book of Revelation. The last book in the Bible is Revelation. Go back one book. It's Jude. 25 verses, very short. And we are in a four-week series walking through this book in a series we're calling Wolves Among Us. And the, the purpose of this book, Jude is writing this letter to the churches and he's warning uh, them about the danger of the false teachers, we're calling them wolves, that have crept into the church and they're distorting the gospel, twisting the gospel and misleading others away from uh, the gospel and the truth of God's word. And so Jude is helping them understand uh, the seriousness of this. And so the first week he gives us this call and it's the main command of the entire book of Jude. It's this call to contend for the faith, that we are to fight for the faith, hold on to protect and preserve the gospel that has been handed to us, um, that has been entrusted to us so that it, it, it is not uh, twisted or distorted by false teachers. And then last week, we saw two things. We saw a description of, of false teachers of the wolves and saw the characteristics and how we can spot a wolf or a false teacher when we see them. And then we also saw the danger in false teachers and the, 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 what they can do to the church to destroy the church. And so this week, we're going to get real practical uh, Jude is going to help us develop a plan. When others around us in our culture are falling and straying away from the scriptures, how do we stand strong in a day where truth is being challenged? How do we confront uh, those who are deceived or those who are deceivers uh, in this culture? And Jude's going to help us uh, get there. We're going to start reading in verse 17. If you're there, say, I'm there. This is what Jude writes. He says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Now, Jude wants to remind the church and remind you and I um, that the wolves that are among us were actually prophesied by Jesus and the apostles. That Jesus told the disciples in, in, in Matthew chapter seven, he says, beware of wolves, watch out for wolves. They're gonna come to you in sheep's clothing. Uh, Paul and Peter both warned the churches against the false teachers that were uh, gonna come in and try to mislead the people. And so Jude wants us to remember that when we come across a wolf, when we come across false teachers or false teaching, we shouldn't be shocked, surprised, offended by it. We should remember, oh yeah, Jesus said they were coming. The apostles told us they were coming. We shouldn't be surprised uh, by them, but listen to this, we should be prepared for them. And here's what we got to understand. He talks about in the last times this would happen. Uh, when the scripture talks about the last days or the last times, it's talking about the time uh, when we are getting nearer to the return of Christ. We got to understand that the last days, the last times actually began when Jesus ascended. So when Jesus ascended to the Father, we are now living in the last days. And here's the, the, the reality we got to re realize and recognize today. We are today closer to the return of Jesus than we were yesterday. And tomorrow we'll be closer than we are today. Jesus is coming, and I believe he could come at any moment. And what we've got to recognize is, is that because we are living in the last days and wolves are coming, the nearer we get to the return of Christ, the more false teachers, the more wolves 
are going to come on the scene and try to mislead and distort the church. He's going to try to twist the gospel. So that means that it's going to be an increasing thing that we must be ready for. And this is what Jude is going to get to the heart of this morning. So uh, jump in with me in verse number 20. So he reminds them that they're coming and then he turns his attention. I love this, like a father who he's telling his kids, I don't care what the neighborhood, ki neighborhood kids are doing. I care about what you're doing, right? So he says, hey, we, we know who the false teachers are, but now let's talk about you for a minute. Here's what he says. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Let's take a moment and just pray and ask the Lord to open our eyes this morning. Father, we are in desperate need of you in light of the fact that wolves are, are here and wolves are coming and God, that there are so many things in our world that could cause us to be led astray and so many churches even that are falling and pastors who are um, walking away from truth. Lord, I pray that your word today would serve as a guardian for our hearts and our minds and our lives. Lord, that we would prepare ourselves um, to stand against false teaching, but, but also, Lord, that you would let us be on the mission of redeeming even false teachers. So God, use us, God, this morning. Work in us this morning. And God, let us have eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit has to say to your church today. We ask this in Jesus' name. God's people said... So it's no surprise to you in East Texas, but football season is just around the corner. Anybody fired up about football season? High school football, college football, it's my favorite uh, time of the year because we're getting all amped up about the teams we follow and how they're going to do. And uh, in just a couple of weeks, high school teams are going to return to two-a-days, uh, working out, getting ready for the season. College teams are starting to get students back in the next couple of, 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 of weeks, and they're going to start their official uh, season. And, and I'm so excited about it. But here's what we got to understand, that while we're getting close to the beginning of season starting, um, elite programs, good programs, whether it's college or high school programs, they really never take a season off. There's the, what we call the off season, but the off season starts as soon as the regular season ends. And that off season is really a time of preparation for the next year's seasons. And, and coaching, coaches that are good at what they do and programs that are really elite, here's what they do. They, they spend their off season preparing for the next season and game planning in two primary ways. They game plan in what's called team development or player development. This is where they identify their roster, begin to look at the different uh, athletes that they have, what's their strengths, what's their weaknesses, what are the areas they need to get better in. This, this player needs to gain more weight. This player needs to lose more weight. This guy needs to be more explosive. This person needs to learn to hold his block better. So this is the workout program they're gonna do. So they go to a season of intense player development, team development of training and building up uh, their team. But they also game plan in looking at the schedule for the upcoming season and they begin to look at game film and study their opponents so that they can discover the teams they're playing on week one and week two and week three. They're all going to be different. So what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What are things that we can expose? How can we attack them in a way where we can be effective against our opponent? This is what good teams, good coaches, good programs do. They, they game plan by team player development and by strategizing of how they're going to overcome their opposition. Well, 
Jude serves in, in, in maybe a way like a really good coach here in this passage of scripture. The first few verses, Jude is gonna talk about player development, uh, building the team, growing in our faith, becoming stronger so that we can stand against false teaching when it comes. And then the last part of it, he's kind of game filming with us. He's helping us understand more about our opponent so that when we face someone who is deceived or a deceiver, we will know missionally how to engage with them. And so I want to look at this passage from that lens of game planning of how can we be prepared to both stand against false teaching and pursue missionally those who have been deceived or are deceivers. This is what we're going to look at. The first is this. I love it that Jude talks about us first before he talks about the wolves. He, he wants to build us up, get us prepared for it. That's what good coaches do. And so we're gonna talk about personal spiritual growth. The first part of this is personal spiritual growth. Look what he says in verse number 20. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Now this next phrase or this first word here, keep, is an important word. I want you to circle this. This is important. Keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, I've got to do a little bit of teaching here for a moment. Uh, this sentence structure, it's important that we understand it to understand the flow of what Jude is doing here in this uh, call to personal spiritual development or growth. Uh, there's, there's one major imperative in this sentence and in this, in this section of scripture. One major imperative, imperative is a command. There's one major command and that is keep yourselves in the love of God. So that's the imperative. But surrounding that imperative are what's called participles. There's three of them. The participles tell us how to do what he's commanding us to do. So the verb, the, the, the imperative is what to do. The participle is what? How to do it. So he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. How do we do that? He talks about building, praying, and waiting. Those are the three participles. And so it's important that we understand what does he mean when he says keeping yourself in the love of God or keep yourself in the love of God. This is the major imperative here. Well, obviously we know, eyes right here just for a minute, you know that God loves you. Everybody nod your head at me if you know God loves you. In fact, say amen if you're really into God's loving you. Yeah, so God loves you. His love doesn't change. His love is unconditional. His love goes nowhere. However, his love for us is something that we have the choice of either walking in or not walking in. And so when he commands them to walk or keep yourself in the love of God, what he's saying is live underneath the umbrella of God's love for you. Walk in submission to God, experiencing through communion and relationship his love for you. Now, what does that exactly mean? Well, Jesus kind of mentions this to us in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, you have to turn it, it'll be on your screen. Jesus is gonna say something very similar and then he's gonna show us how to do it. Look what he says here in verse nine. He says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now listen to this. Jesus says, abide in my love. What does that sound like? Keep, keep in the love of God. Abide, remain, keep in my love. Now look into verse 10. He's gonna show us how to do it. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. As I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So what, according to Jesus, does it mean to keep in the love of God? It is to walk in his commandments. It is to walk in a, in a life of submission to him. 
You see, here's what we've got to understand about God. God does not give us commandments to restrict our joy. He gives us commandments to enhance our joy. So anytime you see in the scriptures a thou shalt not or a command to go and do something, God is not trying to um, like, like, like pull from you some sort of experience of joy that, that you know, man, we're gonna bring pleasure to you. No, when you see that, you need to automatically say, when God says, thou shalt not, you need to hear, I love you. I love you too much to let you go do that because that thing is gonna hurt you. And because I'm a good father that loves my children, I'm gonna put boundaries around your life. And when you walk under those boundaries, the way John MacArthur would say it like this is that you're living in the sphere of God's blessing. You're living under the, under the umbrella of God's love because you're walking in his ways. If I, if I love my children, I'm gonna not let them play in the street, right? If I love my children, they, they don't go play in a busy highway, even though there's a lot of wide open space. Why? Because it's dangerous. And because I love them, I'm going to say, listen, you can't go out there. Not because I don't want you to have fun, but because I want you to have more fun. Because getting hit by diesel is not fun, right? And so those, those guardrails are there. And so what, what the command is this, in, in, a, in the midst of false teaching that's trying to persuade you to step outside of God's commands, in the midst of wolves who want to deceive you to live by the flesh and step outside the umbrella of God's blessings to find something beyond what God has provided for you, the command is keep in the love of God. Stay under his protection. Live in submission to him. His love is a covering over you. Stay underneath it. That's the command. That's the call. And so the question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we grow in the faith and keep in this love that God has for us? Well, there are three ways that we do this. These are things that we actively engage in, all right? We actively engage in them. So keep ourselves in the love of God. How do we do that? There are three participles. So here is the game plan for spiritual growth. You ready for it? Say, I'm ready. Here's the game plan for spiritual growth. First one is this. Listen, how do I do this? First of all, by building yourself up in the word of God. You, you keep in the love of God by building yourself up in the word of God. Look what he says here in verse number 20. He says, beloved, this is the first participle, building yourself up in your most holy faith. Now, when, when Jude talks about faith, he is not talking about like your personal belief or convictions. He's not talking about your faith. I gotta believe more. We talked about this on week one, when he talks about contending the faith and then now here building yourself up in your faith. He's talking about the body of truth that has been delivered to us through the teachings of the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles and ultimately Jesus. Uh, to summarize it, the building it yourself up in the faith is the body of beliefs that have been revealed to us in the word of God. So in essence, Judah is saying, you need to build yourself up in the word of God. Like grow in the knowledge of God's word. Grow in the knowledge of God's truth. He says this is a holy faith. This is a holy belief system. That this word of God, listen, it is a holy book. You see, what we hold dear as believers is that this book that I'm holding in my hand, it is the infallible. It is the inerrant. It is the perfect word of God from Genesis to Revelation. If you want to hear from God, I got good news for you. You can just open your Bible. This is what God has revealed to us. It's the source of truth for all of life. And, and I love this because Jude says it's a holy book. 
Holy means simply set apart. None other like it. When it talks about the holiness of God, we're talking about the unlike anyone else-ness, if that's a word, of God. He is altogether different. Nothing can compare to God. And he's saying the same thing about this book. You see, this book that I'm holding in my hand contains truth that is different altogether from all other forms of truth in the world. Every philosophy, every religion, every worldly ideology, this book is altogether different. You see, worldviews, religions, and ideologies, listen, it's all summary, summarizes in, in one thought. It is this. What is the worldview of the world? What is religion all about? What is philosophy all about? Is I'm going to figure life out on my own terms. This is a path that I create to a full experience. This is the life I create to know God. This is the God I create and then the path that I create to know the God that I create. Every world religion, every philosophy, every worldly ideology comes down ultimately to that perspective. It's me creating my own path to the self-fulfillment that I'm looking for and I'm longing for. But that's altogether different than the message in this book. You see, the, the message in this book is not about us getting to God. It is the story that though our sin separates us from him by his grace and mercy, he has made a way for us to know him, not on our terms, but on his terms, but not only know him on his terms, but he created the path in Christ for us to even get there. You see, what the Bible reveals is that God in his infinite love and mercy pursued us even though we have violated his commands to the point of which he sent Christ to be born, to put on flesh, God dwelling among us, to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death we deserve to die, to be placed in a tomb, to be resurrected so that if we place our faith and trust in him, what we, what we receive, if I can do it without being tongue-tied, what we receive is the righteousness that we need to know God and the Holy Spirit that we need to walk in obedience to him. That's what's in this book. And so here is what Jude says. Do you want to guard yourself and protect yourself in this world? You need to build yourself up in your understanding and knowledge of the word of God. And here's the thing that scares me about our culture. Here's what scares me about our church. In a day and time when we are bombarded with more false teaching, more wolves approaching the church and in the church than in the history of our nation. We have more believers. And I don't want you to offend you with this, but I really don't care if you do, you do get offended, really, honestly. There is more biblical ignorance than there's ever been. There's the greatest threat, and we've never been more vulnerable. Despite the fact that in this room alone, there are hundreds of Bibles that sit on coffee tables and in bookshelves of our houses. And we don't know the word. How can we stand against an enemy who is scheming to deceive us, to twist and manipulate truth if we don't know the truth? And this is a scary thing for us. And even we've gotten to the point now where even the one time a week where we come to church together to hear the preaching of God's word, we now are more infrequent to that than we've ever been. So now we not read when we're not at church, we rarely come to church. And we wonder how in the world are we going to stand against all the false teachings that are in the world? So I want to be helpful to you this morning. I don't want to just kick you in the shin and say, now go 
Um, I wanna give you some help. So underneath this banner of building yourself on the word of God, the question you may be asking is, how do I do that? Where do I start? Let me give you a couple of things to write down. All right, first of all is this, listen to this. Number one, if you wanna build yourself up in the word of God, listen, spend daily time in the word. Listen, the word is not gonna get into you unless you get into the word. When you get into the word, the word gets into you. And this is how you build yourself up. This is how you grow in the faith. An athlete that wants to become stronger faster cannot get stronger and faster unless they go to the weight room. They gotta go through the necessary steps in order to get stronger. If you want to be stronger in your faith, you gotta get into the book that reveals your faith. You gotta spend time in the word of God. So the question that I get asked probably more than any other question when it comes to the word of God, like time in the word of God, here's the question. Pastor, I would, I would spend more time in the Bible. I just don't know where to start. Like I don't read the Bible regularly because I just don't know where to start. So can I, I'm gonna give you a sarcastic answer. And then I'm gonna give you a really good one, all right? So here, here's, here's my knee-jerk reaction to that. I don't know where to start. And like, I don't know, I don't read my Bible, I don't know where to start. Listen, let me tell you, start anywhere. Like reading somewhere is better than reading nowhere, right? Like just being in the Bible, just to, I don't know where to start. Just open, I don't recommend this, but sarcastically, just open the Bible and point a finger somewhere and just read, like read the Bible. Did you know even Leviticus is inspired by God? Did y'all know that? Like you, you can't, there's nowhere in the Bible that you will read where you will not find God. So sarcastically, start anywhere and you'll be okay. But let me be helpful to you, all right? So here's, here's what I do. Here's what's been helpful to me. I want, first of all, I wanna encourage you, I'm not opposed to devotionals, but at some point you've gotta get off the bottle and you've gotta learn how to eat real meat and eat real food. So while devotionals are good, typically though they're one verse and then a bunch of man's thoughts on it. But what you need is just to get to God's thoughts. You get to God's thoughts by reading God's word. So here's, here's the approach that I take. And this is not for everybody because I know there's guys that are more spiritual and more committed maybe than I am. I read, I try to read a chapter a day. So for instance, I'll take a book of the Bible. Right now I'm reading through Jeremiah. So this morning I read Jeremiah chapter 27. And tomorrow I'm gonna read Jeremiah chapter 28. And the next day, I'm gonna read 29. And there may be a day where I miss a day. Well, guess what? I'm gonna pick up where I left off. And so here's what I simply do. I just choose a book of the Bible that I feel like God may be leading me to read. And I just start reading that book. And there's some of it I understand. There's some of it I don't understand. But I know this is that whether I understand it or not, it's God's word. And if I'm reading it and I'm putting it in my heart and my mind, then God's gonna use it. And so here's how I do that. I just take my Bible and I go to that particular chapter that I'm in for that day and I have a pen in my hand. And as I'm reading that chapter of the day, if there's something that jumps off the page at me in a section, a verse or two, I'll underline it. I, I, I may make some little notes what the Lord's speaking to me or some thoughts about it. Like today, there was some thing about the sovereignty of God, how he calls uh, you know, um, Nebuchadnezzar his servant. And I'm, I mean, God chooses leaders and God's sovereign over it. So I just wrote that in my notes. And I finished, once I re read the chapter, then I go back and I go back to the verses that I underlined and the notes that I wrote in there. And I'll just spend some time praying over those things. God, thank you for your sovereignty. God, thank you that I can trust you with all areas of my life, that there's nothing outside of your control. Lord, I just thank you for speaking to me today. And I'll just spend a few moments reading the things that I underlined and praying through some of those thoughts that I had. And, and listen, I'm not saying that's the only way to do it. I'm just saying if you want an easy way of doing it, just start reading. That way you know every day. Say, so what's my reading plan? Whatever the chapter is next. 
And when I finish Jeremiah, thank you, I'm gonna grab another book and I'm gonna start reading, reading through that one. So read the Bible, okay? Get into the word of God every single day. And if you miss a day, great. Get into it the next day and get after it. Here's number two, all right? This is the one that's so self-seeking, but I don't care. I'm gonna say it anyway. Here's another way you build yourself up in the word of God is listen. Listen intently when the word of God is preached. Does that feel a little bit self-seeking here? Like listen when the word of God is being preached. I get the blessing and the curse of looking at your faces every single week. The blessing is those of you whose Bibles are open and you're, you're, you're writing. And you're, you're, the, some of you, I really know, I know what the back, if I want to recognize you, I'm just going to say, close your eyes for a second. Because this is how I see a lot of you in church service. Listen, I know it sounds self-seeking, but here's the thing. Listen, how can we say that we are lovers of God's word, yet be so passive when God's word is being preached and taught and explained? You see, when you, it is possible to, it is possible to love God's word and not love God, but it is not possible to love God, but not love his word. So if we are lovers of God, we're going to want to hear the preaching of his word and lean into it. So what does that look like? Like, I know I joke about this a lot. Like if you're a note taker, you're going to have a bigger mansion in heaven. If you're not a note taker, your grandma might not go to heaven. I, like, I know I joke like that, but here's the serious truth. I want, I want you to engage. Like bring your Bible, take notes, listen. To that. What does that do? That forces you to listen a little closer, lean in a little more, highlight, underline. And then here's a great idea. Before you go to bed at night, take the Bible, open it up, get your notes, read the scriptures that was preached, read through your notes, ask God to let his spirit work in your heart while you're asleep. So this is the way you build yourself. Don't, this is not passive, this is active. What we're doing in this room right now is not active by me and passive by you. It's active. I'm preaching and you're intently listening and learning and growing and developing, being built up in the most holy faith. It goes all the way back to Acts chapter two where it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They would gather together and God's word would be opened and they would listen and, and engage and actively participate by leaning into God's message. Here's number three. The next one is memorize scripture. I'm not gonna stay here long. Um, memorize scripture. Uh, some of you may ask the question like, okay, so how much? All right, so here's another sarcastic answer. Something is better than nothing. So start with one verse. Like, like for some of you, if you don't memorize anything in scripture, start memorizing something in scripture. Take one verse and for one month say, I'm gonna memorize that verse where I can quote it in my sleep. And the next month, grab another one. And the next month, grab another one. And the next month, grab another one. You do that for an entire year, you're gonna start having God's word tucked away in your heart. Memorize God's word. Say, I'm not a big, I don't, I don't have a great memory and I have a hard time memorizing things. But if I was to ask you the roster of your favorite sports team, if I was to start singing some of the famous songs in culture, you probably would start singing along with me, right? So let's just, let's just cut all the nonsense out of, I'm not a memorizer. We all memorize stuff. We just don't memorize the right stuff. So let's memorize God's word. And then the last one is this, um, we need to attend Bible studies. 
Attend Bible studies. Take opportunity when the church provides things for you. Take advantage of that. Go to life group. Discuss God's word with other believers. Grow in your knowledge and understanding by when we're offering different classes through the year. Jump in. Alter your schedule to prioritize this part of your development uh, spiritually. So that's the, the first participle. Here's the second participle. Praying in the spirit. Praying in the spirit. Look at what he says in verse 20. Verse 20, the second half of that, he simply says, praying in the Holy Spirit. You see how creative I got with that point? Pray in the Spirit. Prayer is essential, listen to this, to the spiritual growth of a believer. You will not grow, listen, you will not grow as a believer apart from prayer. And I love this because he says to grow in your knowledge of the Word, grow in the Word, and then he says pray in the Spirit. Here's why. Bible study, Bible reading, and prayer go hand in hand. You see, something happens when you accompany reading the Bible with prayer. Here's what happens. The Spirit of God who inspired the Word of God and the Spirit of God who lives inside of you, who you are praying in, here's what happens. He begins to illuminate your eyes to the truth that He has inspired in the Word. How many of you ever get frustrated reading the Bible and you're like, I just don't understand what He's saying here? Anybody? Yeah. So here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. Read and pray, read and pray, read and pray. And somewhere along the way, understanding comes. Why? Because the thing that I don't understand, guess who does understand it? The Spirit of God. And when I'm praying in the Spirit, guess what? When I'm asking the Holy Spirit, you know what you meant. Show me what you meant. He begins to open my eyes and give me understanding. You see, Bible study in and of itself is great. Bible study and prayer is dangerous in a good way. And, and I'm just make no bones about it. You will not be more powerful than you are prayerful. Spiritually speaking, you will never be more powerful than you are prayerful. You, you need to be men and women of prayer. And the, the same is true for us corporately as a church. Listen, New Beginnings, I mean this with all of my heart. Everything that's in me, I believe this statement. I've been beating this drum. I'm gonna continue to beat this drum. The future impact that we will make for the kingdom of God at New Beginnings Baptist Church will be directly a result of what we do on Wednesday nights in prayer meeting. What we do for the kingdom in the future will be directly tied to the the fervency of our pursuit of God in our corporate time of prayer. Listen, when you look at the book of Acts, it was a staple for the early church. Yes, they prayed privately. Yes, they prayed uh, personally, but they gathered together corporately and they sought the face of God. Every major movement in the book of Acts was birthed out of a prayer meeting. And the power of the church is not found in our programs. It's not found in our Bible study. It's not found in our cleverness or our ability to engage with community and culture. The power of the church is directly tied to the movement of the Holy Spirit and nothing gets the Spirit moving in the church like depending upon Him in prayer. And this is why we must become a people of prayer devoted to seeking the face of God. We need this. You individually need private prayer, but you individually also need corporate prayer. There's something happens when God's people gather together. And can I, I just encourage you this morning, there are some of you, like this, since the last couple of months we've been in this prayer journey, I've had a couple of people make statements like, I just don't need that. I know you do, Pastor. I know other people need that. I, I just don't need that prayer time, that gathering to pray. And I'm just, here's, let me, I love you enough to tell you the hard stuff. 
You're deceived. You are absolutely deceived. You're deceived. Because let me tell you, the, the enemy does not, listen, do you need to read your Bible? Yes. Do you need to come and listen to preaching and, and, and pay attention and take notes? Absolutely. Do you need to be a part of programs and serve Abs, all of those things are great, but the enemy does not fear when you read your Bible. He does not fear when you take notes in church. He does not fear when you go to programs and he does not fear you when you serve in the church, but he trembles when you begin to engage in corporate prayer. Why? Because he understands you can read in your own power. You can take notes in your own power. You can go to programs in your own power. You can go and serve in your own power. But when you spend time with God in prayer, you are moving beyond your ability and you are tapping into the supernatural power that has the ability to overthrow any work he's trying to accomplish. He trembles when a church prays. And that's why he says, pray in the spirit. Say, what does it mean to pray in the spirit? It simply means this. It means that you're praying under the, the Holy Spirit's power and direction. You know, there are times when we pray, but we don't pray. Y'all know what I'm talking about. All right, let's be honest. How many of y'all spent time in prayer in the morning and you got about 15 minutes in there and you're like, I, I don't even know what I prayed about. I don't know what I said. I was thinking about work. Right? Let's be honest. That's me. So did we pray? Probably not. But then there's times when we pray. We encounter the spirit of God and we're meeting. We know God is near. There are times we just say words. Like for us and our family, most of the time, dinner time prayers, let's be honest. It's just a formality to get to the food. Good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. That's our prayer, right? <laughs> Praying in the spirit means that you move beyond just saying words to God, to listening and hearing and having the spirit prompt and lead and guide and shape. Paul says it like this in Romans. Listen to this. He says that the spirit of God knows the will of God. And when the spirit begins to intercede in prayer with us, for us, he reveals the will of God that we don't know so that now we can pray according to the will of and what does he say? The scriptures say, when we ask anything according to his will, he will do it. And there are times when, listen, that praying in the spirit, you don't have words for it because you don't know what to say. And, but there's this sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you just, I, I don't have words, but there's this, you sense there's a crying out of your heart to the Lord. Paul says that's the spirit groaning on our behalf with utterances too great for words. Sometimes it's just silence where the, you know the Spirit is communing your heart to the Lord. There are other times where you know the Spirit is prompting the words that you're saying verbally. But that's what we're called to do, praying in the Spirit. So let me be helpful. How do we do this? Let me give you a couple of things to write down. How do we get to that place? Number one, we do this a lot, by the way, in our prayer meeting. We're, we're learning how to do this in prayer meeting. So I'm hoping your personal life is being increased by your time in corporate prayer, your personal prayer life. Uh, the first is this confession, repentance, and dependence. Confession, repentance, and dependence. So confession of sin. So if we're attempting to pray in the Spirit, how can we pray in the Spirit when there are things in our life that are grieving the Spirit, that are quenching His work in our life? So we confess and we repent. Repent means I'm going to turn from it. God, I don't want that in my life. I don't want anything that's going to interrupt what you're doing in my heart. And then we, dependence. It's, it's saying, God, I need you. I don't know how to pray. 
but I need the Spirit. So it's asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you intercede for me? Father, will you help me know what it is you want me to pray for? I know the burdens that I have, and I'm going to bring those to you, but I want to ask them rightly. So it's that, that time of just heart preparation of confession, repentance, dependence. Here's number two. Listen, listening to the voice of God. The scripture says, be still and know that I am God. So listening to the voice of God. So if prayer is a conversation, but we're the only ones doing the talking, then it's not much of a conversation. So how do we learn how to pray in the spirit? Sometimes by not saying anything, just putting our focus on the Lord and listening for his voice. And listen to me, sometimes he speaks and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he reveals things in your heart that you need to confess. Sometimes he has things prompt in your mind that you need to pray for. Other times, and listen, whether God speaks or not is really irrelevant. But just being in his presence enables us to get into a place where we can begin to pray in the spirit. Does that make sense? Here's number three. Number three, begin to pray the promises of God. Begin to pray the promises of God, the word of God. What I've found, and when there are times when I don't know how to pray, when I don't know what to say to God, what I've found is, is that if I can say things to God that God has said to me, so God, I know that you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and I thank you, God, that you are near me. Your promises are you're not gonna leave me, you're not gonna forsake me. God, I thank you that my righteousness is filthy rags, but in Christ, you have given me righteousness. So it's praying the promises of God, and there's something that happens in your heart when you begin to pray the word of God, the promises of God, the spirit of God comes alive in you and he begins to move in your heart and your life and begins to deepen your prayer and open up the conversation so that he moves you into praying what he wants you to pray. Here's the last one. It's the weird one. All right, you ready for it? Pray until you pray. That's number four. Pray until you pray. You say, what do you mean? You know how we talk about there are times when you pray, but you don't really pray, right? You know what I'm talking about? You're just saying words, so here's my advice to you. When you get to that place where you're praying and you're not sensing, go through those steps, confess and repent and depend and, and begin to listen to the voice of God, begin to pray the, the word of God, the promises of God, and just stay there. Pray until you really begin to pray. That makes sense? It's lingering in the presence of God, waiting on him to move. And he talks about in Isaiah, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. The spirit of God begins to move in our hearts. So pray until you pray. All right, here's the third participle. And I promise you the rest of this is all downhill, not in a bad way, but like it's gonna move pretty fast, all right? If you're with me, say I'm with you. Here's the third participle. So we, and in the third way that we keep ourselves in the love of God by living with a longing for Jesus by living with a longing for Jesus. Look what he says in, in verse 21b. He says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, what he's referring to here is the return of Jesus. So he's saying in the midst of all of this waiting for Christ's return, longing, the idea of waiting here is this anticipation, this longing for Christ to come. And what he's saying is, is that we need to focus our life in the here and now, on what is coming when Christ returns. The fullness of the blessings of what is mine in Christ, to know him fully and to experience him fully. Now just think about how practical, we say how does this help us guard ourselves against false teachings? Just think about this for a moment. What is the, the one thing false teachers do? They prey on the flesh. 
They want to feed the appetites of the impulses. Why? Because we are a me now centric people. I want what I want right now. I want momentary gratification. I want what I want in this moment. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about the next day. I just know what I want and I want to act on that now. And false teaching will oftentimes tap in to that natural sin tendency. This is why the prosperity gospel is growing so quickly in our culture. This is why this name it and claim it theology of you can have whatever you want if you'll just pray hard enough and believe hard enough. You can live where you want. You can drive what you want. You can do what you want. Have all the money to do all of these things. All it is, listen to me, it is the American dream with a Christian package on it. And the reason this is becoming such a popular way of of teaching and, and misleading people is because it preys on our natural desires to, I want right now, momentary pleasures. And let me just tell you something, the command of Jesus to come follow me, but you gotta take up your cross and die to yourself, that's just not that appealing to the flesh. But it is the truth. That you're gonna suffer now, but listen, there's good news that there's gonna be joy in the morning. That for now, you're gonna be hard pressed and you're gonna be perplexed, but you don't have to be in despair because eventually Jesus is gonna overcome the enemy. The reality that there is gonna be mourning and tears and sorrow, but there's a coming when he will wipe every tear from our eyes. You see, listen, that momentary desires of the flesh get suppressed when we begin to look beyond now and to that day when all of the joy and the blessing what is mine in Christ will come. The greatest antidote for you to defeat your flesh today is live your life now in light of what is to come. How do you stand against false teaching that wants to appeal to everything you desire? You stop living for today. So I will live this day with a great longing for that day. And so what that does for me today is that I live on mission because I'm focused on not now, but later. Here's what James Shattuck says about this. He says, the Christian's heart and eyes are fixed heavenward looking for a rider on a white horse whose name is faithful and true, whose eyes are like fiery flame, and on the head are many crowns. We are looking for one whose robe is dipped in blood, and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the day we are living for. And so every day, starting today until that day, I'm living and I'm looking and I'm longing for my great king to return. And therefore, I joyfully endure suffering. I walk through pain. I live on mission. I don't feed the flesh because that day is more important than today. So let me give you the other side of this. This is, this is very rapid here. But this is where it all comes together because here's what we, what we see. We see is spiritual growth, spiritual development, spiritual maturity. We have got to grow, game plan. Personal team strengthening development, right? But now Jude is going to just very briefly show us how we are to advance the mission, to actively, to active, uh, he's calling us to active missional engagement, active missional engagement. Now that we're being built up, how do we engage the enemy? Verse 22 and 23, listen to this. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Do others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained 
with sin. Now, Jude here is telling us how to respond to the wolves and how to respond to those who are being misled by the wolves. Now, I want you to hear me say this. Eyes right here for a second. I want you to notice something here. Jude is helping us. How do we engage the opponent? How do we engage those who are deceivers or those who are being deceived? Now, notice something here. He uses the word mercy twice. Have compassion toward them. And be gracious toward them. Nowhere does he say, shoot the wolves. Nowhere does he say, kick the wolves. Nowhere does he say, reject the wolves. What is he calling us to? He calls us to a pursuit of seeing the gospel redeem the wolves. To those who are deceived and those who are deceivers. Now listen, it doesn't mean our guard's not up. It doesn't mean we tolerate teaching that would lead people astray, but there must be a mercy and compassion that says they are the mission. You see, here's the thing. He calls us to contend what? Contend the faith, contend the gospel, defend the truth of scripture. We are to contend this, fight for it. But what is it that we're fighting? Listen, what we're contending is the gospel of Jesus. What is the gospel of Jesus? It is the way that sinners can be redeemed. And so as we're contending the faith against sinners who are distorted, we got to understand the message we're protecting and the message they're trying to pervert is the same message that God wants to use to redeem them. And so we've got to understand, listen to me, New Beginnings, the world is not the enemy. The world is not the enemy. We are not at odds. We are not at war with the world, but we are at war for the world. And we got to run after and chase and compel. So he puts them in three categories. So how do we do this? Game film time. You ready for it? Who's our opponent? He puts them in three categories, three possible categories here. The first is this, those who are confused. The second is those who are defiled. The third, I'm sorry, the second is those who are deceived. The third is those who are defiled. And he's going to show us how we engage, how we address each one of those types of people. Here's what I mean. Write this down if you're taking notes. How do we engage the world around us? Number one, we need to speak compassionately toward those confused. We need to speak compassionately toward those who are confused. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. If you don't know it, listen, we are living in a very confused world. Because of all of the information, because of all of the philosophies, and because of all the indoctrination of society, we have a lot of confused people. We have a lot of confused people in the church. And I'll just say this, a lot of, us, a lot of our students are sitting over here. We are raising a generation that are trying to navigate through some of the most con uh, confusing situations in our history. I mean, our students are growing up in a day where there's all of this worldview that's just right there at their fingertips and they have so many friends who are living lives that are contrary to what God has revealed as truth. And here's what they're wrestling with. I've got good friends that I love, who love me, that I care about and they're, they're walking in a way and a path that's contrary to scripture and yet I, I love them and they love me. How do I navigate that conversation? I feel confused because at one hand, they're really good people. In fact, some of those are nicer to me than other Christians. Christians are. And they're trying to figure out how can I be friends with them and yet tell them that what they're doing is wrong. And what I'm told in our world, if I say that, then I'm the one who's bad and I'm intolerant and I don't love. And we're raising a generation that's very confused. How do I take this truth that I say that I hold and yet love my friend who doesn't hold that same truth? 
And we can really simplify that for them by saying, well, tell them they're going to hell or don't be their friend. Or you know, they, you know, we can do that, but does that solve the problem? So what do we do? Listen to this. We create room for questions. And we show compassion. And we sit down, we open the Bible, and we, we navigate through these conversations. Listen, we, if we have the truth, why are we scared of questions? Truth is on our side. So what's wrong with sitting down with someone and going, man, I know you're confused and, and you don't know which was. Let me just show you what I believe. Let me show you God's word. Let me give you answers to how to navigate through this. We, we came out of uh, mission vacation in Denver. There's a lot of confused people in Denver. A lot of confused people. When we were told that, hey, they just reject Christians and they despise Christians. We didn't experience that. We did experience a lot of, huh, type looks. Why? Because they're confused. They don't know what to believe. With grace, mercy, and compassion, we need to speak tenderly, compassionately, and leave room for conversation. Here's number two. Write this down. The second group of people. How do we handle those who are deceived? Act urgently with those deceived. Listen to the immediacy of this. He says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. There are some who have been completely deceived. They're not confused. They've been deceived. They're, they're led astray. Now they're, they're embracing something and they're living a life that they're not in Christ. They're not in the gospel. They're not holding to that. And here's what he wants us to remember. This is serious business. That hell is real. And our friends and family and loved ones who have been deceived by the enemy, who, by the scripture Paul says, whose eyes have been blinded to the truth that is in Jesus, we, we got to understand there's a seriousness. There, there, there's a real place called hell and you've got friends and family and loved ones who are really destined to there. And so rather than passively just sitting back and hoping they come around or trying to convince ourselves, oh, they're good people and I'll just be a role model for them and I'll try to set a good example. All of those things are good. But what needs to happen is what, what Jude says is some of us need to take some proactive steps and try to snatch them out of the fire. The word snatch there means to take hold aggressively. Now, this does not mean we have the power to save someone, but it does say we have the responsibility with everything we have to bring about the message of the gospel so that they could be saved. How can we in good conscience know our loved ones don't know Jesus and not tell them that they are lost? How can we with good conscience say that we love people, we know they're destined to hell, but we're so scared to have the conversation. Well, what if they're offended? Or what if they don't like me? I would rather, listen to this, I would rather offend someone into hell, heaven, than I would convenience someone into hell. What we need is more courage and can I tell you the root issue of this? Here's the reason that so many of us won't have the hard conversation. Here it is. We love our friendships more than we love our friends. And because we don't love our friends more than the friendships, we are not willing to lose the friendship in order to possibly save the friend. And so week after week, day after day, we just ignore the reality that they don't know Christ. Here's the last one. It's very easy. Engage cautiously with those defiled. These are those who are just, man, they are hell-bent on what they want in life. They, 
They don't know Christ. They don't want to know Christ. In fact, they're trying to convince others to follow them away from God's plan for their life. They're intentionally distorting. They're intentionally corrupting. They're intentionally trying to mislead others. And here's what he says to those people. You don't give up on them. He says, listen to this. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Here's what he's saying. Those type of people, he goes, you gotta have compassion, but that compassion needs to be married to caution. Why? Because they have influence that could mislead you. He says, hating even the garment stained with sin. In other words, there has to be a preparation, a high love for holiness, a resolve in your heart. I'm not going there. I'm not following them. I'm going to armor up in the full armor of God and have those conversations. I'm going to show mercy to them, but I'm not going to let my guard down because I'm not going to be deceived. We have an enemy who is very deceptive and he's very slick and he can mislead even the strongest believer if we let our guard down. The way I would, I would equate that would be is like, a, 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 I've been so blown away at the doctors and nurses who have cared for COVID patients this past year as this, this unpredictable virus has made its way through you know, our nation and the world, how day after day they have chosen to go into places where people are infected to give care for them who are very contagious and could potentially infect them with the sickness. But what do they do when they go in? They wash up, mask up, suit up. Why? Because they understand while this person desperately needs my care, I want to show compassion, but I'm going to show compassion with fear. I'm going to have caution and I'm going to prepare myself and I'm going to engage them in a way that allows me to care for their needs without getting what they got. This is what Jude is telling us to do. Don't give up. Don't quit. Just be prepared. Be wise. There are people deceived all around us and what they need is people who are strong in the faith, growing in the faith. Meet them where they are. I'll end with this story. There was a man a couple of years ago in our church. His name was Bob. Bob would sit in our worship service every single week and Bob was not a believer. In fact, Bob was raised in a, in a belief system where he was deceived. He he thought he had a relationship with God, but the path he was taking was more man-centric. He didn't trust the gospel. He was just on a path of religion, but he, his daughter came here. He loved the love that he experienced when he was here. He even enjoyed the teaching, but he wasn't a believer. And he sat like in the third row every single week. At the end of the 11 o'clock service, one service, Bob actually had a heart attack in the building. Service ended, the EMS took him to the hospital. I get a call from his daughter and he says, she says, you know, dad is not a believer. Would you come up here? The doctors say he doesn't have much time. And so um, I didn't get there as fast as I wanted to get there. I got there with some other staff members and I walked in and she thought he had just passed. I thought he had just passed. And so I just was brokenhearted because I knew where Bob was gonna spend eternity. And I just walked over and I grabbed her hand that was holding his hand. So I was holding both of their hands. And as I was sitting there praying, I felt Bob's finger move. And I wasn't very sweet. I'd push her aside, the, the daughter aside, and I grabbed Bob's hand. And I said, Bob, I know you cannot speak, but this is Pastor Todd here. If you recognize my voice, I want you to squeeze it with a yes. And so he squeezed my hand. And I said, Bob, I'm gonna say something to you that you need to hear. And I just said, Bob, if you need to know that you are going to die in the next few minutes. The doctors are not giving you hope. You are going to die. 
But Bob, you've been listening to me preach these past few months and you have heard the gospel. But Bob, you know you are not trusting in the gospel. You've trusted in your own effort and your own works. I said, Bob, do you understand what I'm saying? And he squeezed my hand and I said, Bob, you are not ready to meet Jesus. You will spend eternity somewhere, but it all depends on what you do the next few moments. And so I just, I just explained the gospel to him and I asked him, I said, Bob, do you understand? And he squeezed my hand. He said, yes, I understand. I said, Bob, Jesus has sent me here to tell you, you got one last shot. And I said, right now, what you can do, I said, no, you can't speak, but in your heart, you can call on the name of the Lord. Ask him, tell him you believe, you want to be born again. And I just walked him through that. And I said, and when you're done, if you want to do that, I want you to squeeze my hand. And so a few minutes passed and he squeezed my hand. And he had trusted in Jesus. And you could see his eyes trying to open. And in that moment, Bob was born again. I walked around the edge of the bed. His daughter came in. She's weeping and she grabs his hand. I grabbed the other hand and I just leaned over and I whispered. I said, Bob, in a few minutes, something's gonna happen. In a few minutes, Jesus is gonna open your eyes and you're gonna see him. And now you're ready. And when he calls your name, you can go. You don't have to be afraid. And holding his hand, I began to quote, the 23rd Psalm, and when I got to the end, Bob went home to be with Jesus. And I'll never, I'll never forget that. Because I walked away thinking, God, you are so gracious and you are so good that even though a man who could be deceived his entire life, living life on his own terms, in the final moments of his life, that he too can call on the name of the Lord and be rescued. And I believe that right now, Bob is around the throne of heaven and he is worshiping and he will worship forevermore. Why? Because God is in the business of saving those who have been deceived. And we... We must understand, listen, as we grow in our faith, as we pray in the spirit, as we long for that day, what do we do? Listen, we engage, we actively live missionally, pursuing those. How do we do it? We speak compassionately with those confused. We act urgently with those who are deceived. And listen, we walk cautiously with those who are defiled. And we let the gospel and the power of what Jesus does do what he does best, and that's save people far from him. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. I'm gonna pray over you, and then we're gonna have some announcements and be dismissed. Some of you this morning, you are Bob. You know Christ, or you know religion, and you know church, or you know good works, but you've never met Jesus. This morning, I had the opportunity to pray with a lady who is wrestling with this. She's wrestling with trusting Christ and walking away from religion, and maybe some of you are in that place. Right after the service is over, to my left, I will be standing for a few minutes. I would encourage you to come by. I would love personally to help you come meet Jesus today. Others of you, listen, you need to ask yourself the question, are you growing in the faith? And others of you need to ask the question, are you living missionally? Who are the Bobs in your life that God is calling you to engage so that they might be redeemed? Let us go today and walk in these truths. Have our game plan and pursue God's mission with our life. Father, I love you. I praise you and I thank you, Lord, that you can take this word, you can tuck it in our hearts and you can make it bear fruit. And I pray that through the power of your spirit, you would do that. In Jesus' name and all God's people said,